Thank you, Lord, for sharing in our sufferings, all of them. May we be so bold as to take them to you in prayer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome back. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Um, I'm going to see if I can make this thing work this week, since it didn't work last week. Uh, in the bulletin, I've actually carried on the uh, thing I started doing just a couple weeks ago, where instead of the, the why did we do that, there's actually a couple fill-ins. There's four slots, uh, and they're, they're actually going to help, help us track with the sermon, rather the text, because that's really what I'm trying to do. So feel free to fill that in. Um, and then also there's the sermon notes section where you're more than welcome to make your own outline, doodle, as my wife does. My wife will doodle in, uh, in sermon notes always. And the things she comes up with are awesome. I was, can't remember who I was talking to. Is it you, Paul, that I was talking to about when she, she had a, a hangman's noose in the notes? Okay, all right. Well, whoever I was talking to, I, it was one of my sermons. She drew a hangman's noose. Um, and it made sense in context, not that I'm depressing. So, <laughs> um, awesome. All right. So we're going to be, we're actually continuing uh, where we previously left off at. So we're going back into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to um, continue, con well, continue the series. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and I think it's important that we continue in Matthew. We took that hiatus just to talk about what the church is, uh, because it made sense in the context of, of Christ never leaving his bride. So we pick up now in a section of oaths. Now, I don't know how often you use the word oath in a, in a sentence. Uh, it's not a very common word nowadays, but we know what it means. It means promises, right? Um, have you ever met someone who never breaks a promise? No. No, we haven't. But there are people that actually feel like they never break a promise, right? Like there's people that we know that are dependable, uh, that when we reach out to them, they're going to give us a straight answer of whether or not they're able to do something. Usually they're the, the first ones to hop on. For instance, how I recently uh, conned, requested Ben's help in moving moving somebody else in the church. <laughs> so um, I, I, know, I know from now two experiences, Ben is dependable enough that if, man, if, I, if I'm in a bind, I can reach out to him and he can lend me a hand. Or, uh, or I, by, by contrast, I know that I could, I could call Paul and ask him for advice on something and he'll happily tell me um, and help me through it, help me think through things. Or on our Tuesday morning when, uh, when he, I know that he's dependable enough that he shows up to breakfast predominantly. But there's people that you know that, that, that are dependable. Um, none of us is able to keep all our promises, but there are also those people that are dependable and they're self-assuredly dependable. You know what I mean? The people that are really prideful about how, hey, you know, if I, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Uh, the people that take a lot of pride in the fact that they always fulfill their promises. Uh, have you ever met anyone who you can't trust for anything? In reality, 
again, no. Because at some point, somebody might even accidentally fulfill a promise. But, <laughs> but there are people who really, it feels like you just can't trust them. Um, I, I, I worked with a guy one time that it felt like every time I asked him to do something, I could, I could, I could feel self-assured that he just wouldn't do it. Uh, whether it was restocking some shelves or whether it was uh, whether it was going and handling the register for more than five seconds, like it felt like I could never ask him to do it. And when he did fulfill it, I was honestly surprised, and I felt a little guilty that I was surprised that he did his job that we were paying him for. Um, but the the person who's self-assuredly dependable, and oftentimes that's my own self, tends to look down on those that are not dependable. They feel that sense of pride, like when my employee wouldn't do what he was told, and I just think, why can't he ever just do what I want him to do? I always follow orders when I'm told to do something. That's not true, though. It's just not. It's not possible. So when the dependable person looks down on the undependable, should that really be their posture? Should that be the way they think about an undependable person? And for that matter, why is it even important to follow through on promises? Uh, and, and, and in our verse today, why does Jesus even talk about this? <laughs> you, think about sermon on, you think about the Sermon on the Mount. You think about the topics that surround it. Lust, that makes sense. Divorce and adultery, that also makes sense. Oaths. And then retaliation. Okay, retaliation makes sense. So why does Jesus even, even mention this in our text today? So let's go ahead and read our verses. So again, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33 all the way up to verse 37. Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. So let's walk through these verses a little bit. Um, verse 33. Uh, well, all right. First of all, I'll give, you our, I'll give you the sermon summary just so you can see where I'm going with this sermon. So Christians let their yes be yes and their no be no, giving God all the glory when they can fulfill their promises. So that's where we're going. This is the way I'm summarizing our application of the text. So let's walk through these verses and, first of all, ensure if I'm just even on the right track, but also have our hearts be conformed to the Word of God. So point number one. Verse 33 is what I'm going to say is the condemnation of the legalist. And if you remember, every single section of these starts with, you have heard it was said, but I say. Well, they don't start with it, but it's contained in the verses. And... It's Jesus taking us a step farther from where, 
from where it had previously been interpreted by, by the Old Testament believers, so the, the, the Jews of the time, right, who were experts in the law, the scribes and the Pharisees. So verse 33, everybody knew that you're not supposed to swear falsely. So what is a false swearing or a false promise? Well, a false promise, a false oath, is a promise that's made without heart, without an intent of even following through. And it probably actually with even an intent of breaking the promise, right? If they're not intending to follow through with it. And we've all met people like that, right? They make maybe a grandiose promise, like, hey kids, when you turn six, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. And this is going to happen, no matter what. Kid turns six, you don't have the funds, and in fact, you knew you weren't going to have enough. And so, the kids don't go, the kids are disappointed, if they remember. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, and, and so, we've all met people that make false promises, right? Uh, for some of us, it really is our own parents, parents who promise uh, incredibly big things like Disneyland or even showing up to baseball games or dance recitals, but they never come. Maybe they've been to one out of 20, but it feels, again, like they never come. It's crushing. And for others, it might even be political parties that promise reconciliation, but, but result in more division. <laughs> the, and... And I mean, for, for even more of us, right, those, those people that make false promises, we've all met someone like that because it's ourselves. Have you ever been in that situation where you just want to promise something to get someone to shut up? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a telemarketer. Yeah, I promise I'll go ahead and look into that deal. <laughs> or uh, or maybe, maybe it's, um, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, a nagging spouse, male or female, uh, I, I promise, honey, I will vacuum that floor, just give me some time, or I promise I'll rebuild that, uh, that thing that I broke. Um, and those promises go broken. And maybe, for me, it, I never intended to actually do it, I just wanted to get my wife off my back. And my wife doesn't really ride me on things, so I have a glorious spouse in that, uh, in that sense. But I can promise I've made false promises at some point. Actually, I can think of one that's really menial. I promised my wife I'd put a Diet Pepsi in the fridge, and I totally forgot. And so then, like, six hours later, when she wants the Diet Pepsi, it's not in the fridge. And I can, I can see the disappointment in her eyes, and really, I just said, okay, okay, so that I could move on to the next thing that I was doing. So that's what a false promise is. When Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. He's talking about those that are making a promise but really have no intention of following through. Not just, not just those that mess up, but he is talking about them as well. The people that, that have every intention to do it but then don't follow through. That's who, also who he's talking about. So you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And in that law, don't swear falsely, is where the legalist is formed. Because the legalist, this, the person who's more concerned with the letter of the law, looks at this and goes, okay, I can't swear falsely, so therefore, I'm going to follow through on all my promises. 
and I am so good at following through with the things that I promise, I never let anyone down. That's the legalist, the person that picks this up and just feels so powerful in themselves because they, they keep their promises. They take pride in their truth-bearing ability. They consider that their kept promises outweigh their broken, and therefore, they're good. They're fine. They feel a lot of self-assurance because they don't forget like those forgetful people do. They keep their calendar tight. And oftentimes, these self-assured legalistic folks will remind others of their dependability. They'll, they'll usually say, well, at least I didn't forget like so-and-so. That's what a legalist is, somebody that is so uh, proud of how well they keep the law. So, dear legalist, and I'm looking at the wall, <laughs> um, I want to give you a reminder before we go any further. Be and it's that breaking a single promise is enough to condemn us and should destroy our self-assurance. One promise. James, in chapter uh, James 2.10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now that's talking about something else, but the same thing is true. We should not feel prideful about having an outweighing of kept promises than broken. We really shouldn't. Why? Because we've broken promises. We can't consider ourselves fully dependable. Nor should we consider ourselves fully not dependable, undependable, independable, whatever the word is. The breaking of a single promise should remind us that, that, that we're not incredible promise keepers. And going even further, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All of us have broken a promise. If we feel so good that we never fall short, friends, that's, you fall short. I fall short. The glory of God, breaking promises, whatever the sin, man, I've, I've done it in some measure. Maybe not in the whole of the measure or the whole, the whole possible weight of a sin, but I've broken it and I know I've broken promises. As dependable as I can be, I'm not truly 100% dependable. So all of us, not just the legalists, but all of us should lay aside our self-assurance. We shouldn't take pride from not having broken promises because we have. Instead, we should recognize our frailty and that keeping promises ultimately is not even dependent on us. Sometimes it's dependent upon us, but ultimately it's not. And there's, you think about it, there's countless factors to why a person is dependable or not that don't really depend on themselves. Some people are just incapable of keeping a calendar. Other people try really hard, but maybe their car broke down on the way. They broke a promise, but it, was, it wasn't all on themselves. So when Jesus is saying, don't swear falsely, he, he's taking it a step further. He's saying, hey, y'all that, that think you're good because <laughs> you're not making false oaths, it, it gets worse. So we'll get back to in a few moments what keeping promises not being truly dependent on ourselves looks like, but 
but now I, I, I want us to consider why an oath would be valuable in the first place. Why Jesus, again, would even mention oaths in, in the mixture of retaliation and lust and adultery. So point number two is how is God reflected in this? Because Jesus started just going way back here. Jesus started us in Matthew 5, verse 17, saying that he came to fulfill the law. So that means that all of these things point to Jesus in some way, in, in, in God being, being the fulfillment of these, so that we can recognize that we're not perfect. So point number two is that God keeps all his promises. So let's read on, starting in verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So, when we think about heroes in Scripture, you know, we, we probably think of King David slaying Goliath, um, but there's, there's promises that are made and broken all throughout Scripture by people. Can we agree on that? Uh, in intended, intention to follow through on something, uh, and, then, and then they fail miserably. Uh, one that I'd like to bring up just, just momentarily is Gideon. So Gideon was a judge. So he's in Judges 6, 36, well, he's in Judges 6 and 7, but um, just, to, just to retrace it, Gideon is chosen as a judge, uh, which meant that he was there to rescue Israel. God set him up to rescue Israel. Um, and so in Judges 6, 36 to 40, Gideon puts God to the test. Um, so starting in verse 36, I'll just read it to you. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. So he's taking this fleece and he's laying it down essentially on grass, uh, probably cut down wheat, right? Um, and he says, if there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. He promises. He makes an oath. I shall know that you're going to save Israel by my hand if only the fleece is wet, but the ground underneath it is dry. And... It was so, imagine that. Uh, when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Uh, let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the, on the ground let there be dew. So now he's flip-flopped it. And he's saying again, I'll trust you. I'll trust you if, if the fleece is dry and the ground underneath is wet. And you think about it, that's much more mirac miraculous. That's probably the wiser thing to do. That's probably what he should have said first, because when dew settles in the morning, it, it drops down. If you throw a blanket on your yard tonight and wake up the next morning, the blanket will be wet and the ground will be probably wet, but not as wet if you didn't, right? Makes sense? Tarp? Same, same thing. So this is probably a wiser test. Um, and God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So God answered his promise. 
or God, I'm sorry, God answered his request. But, again, he had promised the first time, I will know, I'll know that you did this. But he didn't fulfill that oath. Gideon didn't trust God the first time, and even though he said, you know, I'll know, I'll know, Gideon just didn't trust. He didn't fulfill the oath of trusting God, putting him to the test again. Which, by the way, is another matter of Gideon not being in the right place. Uh, but in reality, we all put God to the test multiple times. We fail to trust him, and therefore, we fail to fulfill our promise to trust him. I'm assuming at some point in your lives, you all, you've all told God, I trust you with everything. I surrender it to you. You, you take everything, uh, and, and I will trust, I will have faith. I will trust that you're going to do the right thing. But do you fulfill that promise? Not all the time. <laughs> not, not all the time. Another good example of an oath made that's not followed through, again in the example of faith, is Peter. Oh, Peter. I'm sure most of you know where I'm going with this one. So, uh, in John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you lay your down life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter made that promise. I will lay down my life for you. I will die to usher in your kingdom. Did he? Not when Jesus was talking about. In fact, we all know the story when it comes to, you get to John 18, right? Peter denies Jesus. He follows as Jesus is arrested, is brought before the, the, the high priest and, and is tried. But then people say, hey, you got a Galilean accent. Don't you know this guy? No, 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 I don't know this guy. He wasn't willing to admit knowing him, and yet he had just promised a few chapters earlier, probably, probably a, few, a few days earlier, that he would die for Jesus. How many, how many missionaries do you think are in similar situations? I'm willing to go into Cambodia, and I'm going to preach the gospel. They get there and find out that Cambodia is not only a lot of, uh, of non-Christians, but they're hostile to non-Christians. Well, you know, I'm, I'm happy to build homes, but I'm not going to preach the gospel. They make an oath, but they don't follow through. Peter fled, and he freaks out when the rooster crows, which is funny to me, but I, I, I imagine I'd be in a similar situation. But there are tons of oaths made in, in Scripture. Those are just two. But actually, here's the third example. Did you know that God swears? God has made oaths. He's made promises. And not only has he made promises, but he's made promises by himself and used himself as an example. So Hebrews 6, 13 to 14, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Surely, I promise, I make an oath. 
I will do it. So hold on. Jesus said very clearly, don't make an oath at all, right? But I say to you, verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So wait, did, did God just sin? Did God just do what he told us not to do? Because he, he's swearing by himself, isn't he? But he says, don't swear by God. Don't make promises by God. So did God sin? No. No, he didn't. He didn't because God's the only one who's able to make promises by himself and fulfill them by himself. When God swears by himself, bringing his own honor and glory to witness, he's never going to break that promise. He's the only one who's able to ensure that promise will actually happen. But when we make promises, we are not able to usher them in fully. My wife and I had, and I, uh, to be fair, my children are listening probably through a TV speaker, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but my wife and I had plans uh, when, when a particular child turned five years old that we would take her to, uh, to the place of magic and dreams of Disneyland. Um, that didn't happen. <laughs> and that particular child is of the age that I mentioned. Um, and uh, I can't remember if we said that to her or not. Uh, but Rachel and I had made an oath. And we couldn't do it. We can't do it coronavirus. We can't do it finances. We can't do it, I'm a pastor and I, 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 got, I, got to, I got to start serving here in February and she would have changed age in April. Just started a job. Yeah, I'm going to go on a two-week vacation. I'm going to drive down to California. See you guys, right? <laughs> How good does that look, right? Um, but there's tons of reasons why I couldn't. Circumstances don't allow for me to fulfill my promise. And so, if I would have gone to my daughter and said, listen, I promise, I promise with every fiber of my being, I swear, I swear my mother's not dead, but I swear on my mother's grave, right? <laughs> or or, or I, 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 I swear to God, that's what we more often hear, that I will make this happen, but I can't make it happen. Now listen, this, this is where we find the other side of the legalist. So the first legalist is, is well, I'm just not going to swear falsely. And because I don't swear falsely, oh, I'm good, I'm good at keeping promises. But the second legalist pops in here and says, well, I'm just not going to make any oaths. Jesus says, don't make any oaths. So therefore, I will never promise anything. I will always say, I'm going to try and make that happen. Because that way I leave wiggle room. And I'm going to be honest, this is the legalist that I fall into. This is, this is my category of legalism. Because when people ask me to do stuff, I'm like, I hope to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to promise. Um, sometimes it's because I can foresee 500 different ways this could go wrong. And if I, show, if I don't show, I don't want to disappoint the person. Uh, so, so this is my category of legalism, and I, I ask for grace in this one from, from, from y'all. But we've established that fulfilling oaths is important, right? Because God fulfills his oaths. So people break oaths all the time. They can't, they can't always 
follow through, whether it's a lack of faith, whether, whether it's, it's good intentions but poor execution, whatever it is, God is the only one who can make a promise and fulfill it. So point number three. Our keeping of promises depends ultimately on God. Now, that's where Jesus goes in verse 36 specifically. So first he says, don't swear by these places, right? Don't swear either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Basically he's saying, don't swear by something greater than yourself. You don't own those things. Those things aren't yours. Heaven's not yours. Earth's not yours. Your mother's grave ain't even yours, man. It's her grave. That's what you just said. You said mother's grave. So don't swear by things greater than yourself because they're not yours to swear by. And then in verse 36, he says, and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Don't even swear by yourself. I promise with every fiber of my being, I'm going to make this happen. Don't do it because you can't even control yourself. You can't make one hair turn white or black. Now, I mean, you could argue with me and say, listen, Scott, I can go down to the thriftway and I can get some temporary dye. I can make it white or black or pink or orange or, 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 or turquoise, whatever I want, man. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about permanence. We got some gray heads here. You ever sit there trying to, trying to just will your hair into turning a different color? It ain't gonna work. <laughs> that's not the way this works. So Jesus is saying, don't even swear by yourself. Don't take an oath by your own power, on your own ability, on your own authority, because you can't control it. James gives us a very practical example of this in, in James chapter 4. If you want to turn there, you can. James 4.17 is one of my favorite Bible verses in the whole, the, well, one of my favorite Bible verses. But James 4, starting in 13, James gives us a practical perspective about us having the intention of fulfilling oaths. He says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, pause there and think about that, right? Um, have you ever moved and told your family that this next job is going to be better than the last job? This place is going to be better than the last place. Uh, have you ever maybe um, been a student somewhere and said, Mom, when I go into high school, I'm going to do better than I did in junior high? That's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about business people. You know, hey, I promise, I promise I'm going to spend this time, go here and, and make a profit. He's not just talking about that. He's also talking about the normal, average, everyday Joe who just makes a promise like, well, you know, this next stage of life is, is going to be better than, than the last. I mean, we, we kind of do that with New Year's resolutions every year, so just stick with it. Uh, so come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever, does, or whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Y'all now know you're not supposed to make promises and, and, uh, and by swearing on something greater than yourself. So if you do it, sin. Anyway. Um, but but James, James is actually not talking just about a verbal vocabulary here. Okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not imposing another era of legalism saying you should now forever say, you know, if the Lord wills, then I'll do this or that. That's, that's not what James is concerned about. He's not talking about a verbal vocabulary as much. Um, Jesus, in Matthew 5.37, gives us the application. He says, let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Did you catch that James said something similar? He said, all such boasting is evil. So that could actually be translated from the evil one. There's no just general concept of evil in the verse. So what he's saying is that boasting Having, have, being so sure of our, of our oath, of our intention, of our success, of our goals, so sure that we're going to do something, then that is evil. That's from the evil one. That's boasting and arrogance. So James is not just concerned with your verbal vocabulary, the, the words you use. You know, if the Lord wills, I'll do better at this next school. If the Lord wills, I'll do better at this next job. He's not just saying, say those words. He's actually concerned with your heart vocabulary. He's concerned about your, your own personal posture. He's, boasting doesn't start from the mouth. Boasting ends in the mouth. James actually says something similar in James chapter 2. This is, what comes from here is a result of what comes from these two spots, from our mind and our heart. So what do you know? Do you know that you're going to go there and make a profit? Do you know that when you promise you're going to help somebody move, you're going to be there? No, you don't. But if the Lord wills, you'll be able to do it. We, we make oaths, not by something greater than us, not even by ourselves, but we make our oaths so that our yes can be yes and our no can be no. Some might over-spiritualize this. Um, say something like, well, you know, it doesn't depend on me, so uh, I, I'm just not going to even try. So when I, you know, when I, when I, when I swear something, I don't, I'm not really responsible for my actions. That's not where we're going. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what James is talking about. Ain't what, Bible, ain't what the Bible's talking about. Instead, I, I love the way James puts it. If the Lord wills, I will do this or that. So that posture is almost a posture of petition, not promise, of requesting God for the favor to do something instead of just arrogantly going about it. And that's where... That's where Jesus is going. 
He's, he's expanding the fact that, listen, it's not just about not swearing falsely. It's actually about how humble are you to admit that, that God is in control of your circumstances, not, not you, man. You, you are not the center of the universe, and neither is swearing by something greater than yourself as if it's going to help you. I swear by the great burning city of Portland, I will do this or that. Portland ain't going to help me <laughs> do this or that. Um, and not just because it's, 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 in, it's in chaos right now, but just because it's a city. It's not able to do it. I swear by the whole of the earth that I'm going to do this or that. Does the earth depend on you, Scott? Does the earth depend on you? No. I swear by heaven. Well, does God depend on you? God doesn't depend on you. It's about being humble enough to admit that God controls our circumstance. If the Lord wills, meaning in your heart, you know. You know and hope that God's going to let you serve in the way that you've promised. We, we shouldn't equate ourselves or our abilities to the level of God. We shouldn't swear by him, his throne room, his footstool, a city, or anything else. Mother's grave. You don't hear that as much out here, but man, I'm telling you, in Chicago, like people say it all the time. Uh, like, I swear by my mother's grave, I'm telling the truth. And in that point, they're, like, you almost know they're not trustworthy, right? Because now they've got to appeal to something just so you can trust them. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's seriously where, where the undependable person goes, right? Is everybody knows that they can't be relied upon, and so therefore they have to swear by something else just so you're going to trust them. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's actually a logical fallacy called appeal to authority, right? So you, you always appeal to something greater than yourself because you know you can't be trusted. Uh, you know, I heard this thing in a YouTube video that I know is true. So I'm going to send you the YouTube video because the YouTube video can't lie. It's, it's YouTube. There's not, no lies on YouTube. Um, but but that's, that's... Meanwhile, you, when you do scholarly papers, you have to cite sources. So there's a fine line. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Sorry, tangent. Um, but instead, we recognize that it's not up to us, it's not up to something else to make our promises go through, but instead we, we humble ourselves, we appeal to God. Why? Because it's through him and by him and for him all things were created and sustained. Hebrews 1.13, Colossians 1.18-23. So therefore, I propose this. Don't just make, don't, don't, don't make oaths by other things but instead appeal to God. When you promise to do something, when you, when you say, ah, I intend on doing that, right? Don't just like wishy-wash it, but instead say, 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 yes, I will do that. And then you immediately pray, God, please let me do that. <laughs> let me fulfill this. Make, make of the circumstances that I can show up for work on time, that I can finish that construction project, that I can... I can, I can call that person when I intend to. Speaking of which, sorry for all the people that I promised to call and didn't call. Um, let our promises be made as requests, not, not reflective of our own abilities. 
And so, the final point, the simple application. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no, but give glory to God. Recognizing that, that when we, we shouldn't make false oaths, we shouldn't swear false oaths, if you don't intend to do something, don't tell me you're going to do it. That is, the, that, that is the quickest way to lose trust with anybody. <laughs> um, but, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. This last verse condemns both the self-assured legalist and the sluggard. The best Bible word. The absolute, my favorite Bible word sluggard. It means somebody that's lazy and irresponsible. <laughs> um, the legalist takes pride in how well they keep their promises. So what does verse 37 say to the person who takes pride in how well they keep their promises? It says, repent. Don't take pride in that. Don't appeal to your record of being faithful to your oaths like the person implied in Matthew 5.33. Don't appeal to something greater than yourself, assuming that your oath is righteous because you keep your promise, filling up your heart with self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the most destructive righteousness because it's not righteousness. Self-righteousness is a great way to just tear everybody else down. It throws hooks in everyone around you and tries to tear people down to your level. So... If you're somebody who errs on the side of legalism, repent and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Meanwhile, the sluggard, again, like I mentioned way, uh, way earlier in the sermon, has the opposite reaction. They assume they can't promise anything because nothing depends on them. Repent. If you're a sluggard man, repent. You're a legalist of laziness. <laughs> You're the sultan of sluggardly. Uh, you, you, you need to repent because Jesus is not saying never promise anything. He's saying don't make an oath by a higher authority. Don't make an oath by yourself. Simply say what you mean. Do what you, do what you promise. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If somebody has to promise on their mother's grave that they're trustworthy... Again, probably not trustworthy. In fact, their mother may not even be in the grave. <laughs> um, so if, if, if you have the sluggardly reaction of, of just feeling beaten down by these verses, well, I can never promise anything. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not trying to beat you down. Instead, he's saying, just be true to your word, man. And when you're able to rely on God ultimately in fulfilling your promises, there really is a gospel freedom to it. There's good news to it. When we don't rely on our honor, our integrity, our history, or our circumstances, when we don't rely on anything other than God to allow us to do what we intend to do, then we can just say yes or no when somebody asks us to do something. We don't... We don't bear the, the, the pride of self-assurance or the guilt of failure. We instead delight in the grace of God that's allowed us to be there for someone else when they need us. It's God's mercy that lets us care for one another. 
And when we can rely on that, when we can do everything that we do to try and, try and make sure that we show up to work on time, when we keep our promises, we, we, we know that it, we, we can cast it on the Lord and pray and plead, Lord, please let this happen. And then, again, we don't feel the sense of failure when we show up five minutes late. We don't feel the sense of pride when we did it, I did it. We give glory to God. We give God all the glory. Gratefully, we say, thank you, Lord, for letting me serve in this way. I was really glad that our fire extinguishers showed up when they did. That didn't depend on me. Actually, it did depend on me because I bought it and I didn't realize that there was, there was a problem. I put the wrong security code in for my card, and so they didn't show, and I was supposed to have them by a certain date so that Toledo Fire Department could come and confirm whether or not I did get new fire extinguishers because our old fire extinguishers hadn't been checked, one of them since 1994 or two or something like that. Um, so like, I, I had every intention to order them, but I didn't follow through. And so when it failed and I realized I never got charged for those things. What happened to them? I was able to check and reorder them. And I was very happy when they came because <laughs> the fire department hadn't come and checked again. Uh, <laughs> but I was happy when they came. Didn't depend on me. Didn't even really depend on FedEx. Ultimately, it depends on the Lord. And I'm grateful that God let, us, let me fulfill my promise that I was going to get new fire extinguishers my oath that I had made to the fire department. Something seemingly so simple, and yet I can give God all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, may we be a church that lets our yes be yes and our no be no. That when we say individually that we're going to do something, that we fulfill it by your power. When we say corporately that we're going to do something, Again, we fulfill it by your power, and we give you all the glory. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in a situation where people ask things of us, where people think of us as trustworthy, and we recognize that actually we're not as trustworthy as we are, but you, O oh God, are worthy of our trust, and we therefore graciously extend your trust. Lord, thank you that we we can sit here and we can learn about oaths in the midst of adultery and retaliation. Huge things, huge topics. And this oath, this is a huge topic because you don't break promises. You are perfect. You are worthy of our trust, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May we, O oh church, surrender our oaths and our promises to the Lord, knowing that he is faithful, he keeps them all, and that we are frail and much able to break our oaths and promises. He is good. Go in peace.